Drive Time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, your team, your Miami Dolphins. How is it going? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and if you can't tell by the expedited intro on today's show, I'm fired the hell up. Turn the Page Wednesday brings about a game that's been looming in the back of your mind for a few weeks. We go up to Philadelphia for a primetime test with the defending NFC champions. We're going to break it all down, beginning with some background on the Philadelphia Eagles, the key storylines, the tale of the tape on either side of the ball. I watched five Eagles games to get ready for this one. I am very, very excited, plus the three keys to victory and my prediction from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is... The Drive Time Podcast. On to Philly, the best primetime matchup of the season. In fact, it's the first time two teams at 5-1 and one or better have met on Sunday Night Football since 2015. And the storylines, they are rich. We'll get into those in a moment. Chilly night in Philly, chilly Philly. Temperatures around 40 degrees, 61 during the day, with clear skies and winds around 10 miles per hour. Sounds like a beautiful night for football. And the weather down here is actually cooperating. It's been a beautiful 75 degrees with a slight breeze. All the rhymes are coming in on time today, and that's supposed to continue throughout the week. We get a low of 58 degrees tonight. I'm excited about that. Let's get to know these Philadelphia Eagles. We had a videographer here a couple of years ago who grew up in the Philly area. Miss you, Trey. Hope you're doing well up there again, sir. I'll never forget sitting with him sometimes while he was watching highlights on Mondays of the Eagles games because he was shooting Dolphins games and couldn't watch his hometown Eagles and just talking some shop with him. And I'll never forget there was a game against the Giants in 2021, right before they had kind of started their run to make the playoffs that season and before eventually getting bounced by Brady and the Bucks in a, a lopsided playoff game uh, over in Tampa Bay. But they were building to the team they have now that season, and it started with the emergence of quarterback Jalen Hurts, a star second-round draft pick in 2020, the same class as Tua. Hurts is one of four bona fide franchise quarterbacks from that class, and one of two to reach the big game. And, man, he is tough, tough to defend. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But the identity of the football team is built around Jalen Hurts. Tough, physical, grind you to a pulp in the running game, outwork you. Hell, the fact that he's a power lifter allows them to run the most unstoppable short yardage play in the history of the game in the brotherly shove, which that's the name I go with. The tush push is not cool. But they started building the wall in front of Hurts long before he got there. We won't see Lane Johnson this week, I don't think. There's a chance he could play, but I doubt it. He's been one of the best right tackles in football for a decade now. In fact, he was on the board when Miami selected Deion Jordan. Cover your ears, Dolphins fans. Jordan Mailata might be the best left tackle in football. If not, he's one of them. And they pair that with the best center of this generation and Taylor Swift's boyfriend's brother. Just kidding. He's Jason Kelsey. The Kelseys are more important in this podcast than Taylor Swift. Fight me about it. Um, he's heading to Canton when he's all said and done here. And the other two guard spots have seen some changeover with the retirement of Brandon Brooks, one of my all-time favorite players, and free agent departure Isaac Samalu. And that group was really formed back in the Carson Wentz era. It helped them get to the Super Bowl in 2017, a year where Wentz was pacing for MVP, got injured, and you know the rest. He's now throwing footballs and Colts helmets and commander's jerseys and Eagles shorts. 
They came back with Wentz in 2018, and that was probably one of his best years. I think it was 2019, maybe 2019, maybe I don't know. They won a playoff game that year, won the division again in 2019, and lost in the playoffs. In fact, that was the year I'm thinking of. He was really good and carried a very, very banged up team that year into the postseason and played well in a loss to the Seahawks, I think it was. But then they had their proverbial reset year in 2020. 13 wins, 9 wins, 9 wins. 4, 11, and 1. And then Hertz gets the job in 2021, and they go 9 and 8 with that loss in Tampa Bay. And then last year, they rattle off eight consecutive wins to start the season. They finish 4 and 13, or sorry, 4 and 13, 14 and 3, and they cruise to two lopsided playoff wins before losing by a field goal in the Super Bowl. What, I, that's got to hurt so bad. We don't know that as Dolphins fans of this generation, but I feel like that has to hurt really, really bad to lose the Super Bowl by three points, man. But back to their roster building. They supplemented the beastly offensive line, just like we did, by drafting one of the game's best wide receivers in the same class and trading for another one of the game's best wide receivers, Smith and A.J. Brown. Dallas Goddard was drafted the same year as Mike Gesicki and Durham Smythe, and we should have taken Goddard in the second round over Gasicki, but I digress. But then on defense, a good mix of vets and youngsters, they essentially exported those dominant Georgia defenses, Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter. That might be the best defensive tackle in football. That might be the best defensive tackle combination in football. Nicobe Dean, Nolan Smith, Keely Ringo, it just keeps going. Fletcher Cox is not from Georgia, but he's still a good player. And then he, Brandon Graham, have been there for, you know, since the MOSFET transistor was invented. Where you see the impact of building wall-to-wall elite rosters and the downside of that is on the defense. We mentioned the loss of Somalu, but they also lost Javon Hargrave, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, TJ Edwards, Marcus Epps, Kaiser White. All those guys either start or are key parts of sub-packages wherever they are now. And the Eagles are also on top of that dealing with a ton of attrition in that secondary. More on that in a moment. All things told, they haven't been as dominant as they were last year. They just haven't been. They're 5-1, and one, so who the hell cares? But they've played a ton of close games. And I'm told that if you play bad teams, you can't have a success against those teams because it doesn't matter how much you beat them by. But the Eagles have skirted by some not-so-good football teams. Close win against the Patriots, close win against the Commanders, in overtime, in fact, and loss of the freaking Jets. The Jets aren't a good team. They held in the red zone against the Patriots to hang on by five points in that week one game, staved off a comeback against the Vikings in week two, 34-28. They pulled away from the Bucks in the second half of a 25-11 victory. And then the Commanders, when we talked about, a 23-14 win over the Rams, 23 points on the Rams defense, and then lost to the Jets on Sunday with four giveaways and just 14 points. So the most this season for them was the four, and the most they've had in a game started by Jalen Hurts since their first loss last year on Monday night against Washington when they turned the ball over four times. So turn them over four times, probably going to beat them. This is a good one, man. Good good football game. I was just out of practice on Wednesday, and the media contingency is about four times the size as it usually is. Big football game. Let's go ahead and check out some of the storylines here, and it starts at the quarterback position. Two of the Hurts. Not on the field at the same time, but still fun to get excited about, right? The 2017 Natty, Tua coming off the bench and rescuing a 13-point deficit to beat Georgia. And then the 2018 summer quarterback battle there. I distinctly remember this fun story that you guys that have been with me for the, for the entire Locked On Dolphins days will know this. But I had a buddy who was a GA at Bama, and he came on the podcast to tell us about Mika Fitzpatrick when we drafted him, and then later about Tua Tungabailoa, and he was adamant about the professionalism that both those guys showed that entire summer. And he said, look, everybody in the program knew 
who the better quarterback was. It was Tua, right? Like clearly at that stage of their careers. But Tua never complained about having to go win the job every single day. And then Hertz was a total pro in the way that he handled it. And I imagine if you're listening to this podcast, Tua is probably your favorite quarterback in the NFL. Hertz should be your second because as a prospect, there were some things he had to fine tune as a passer. And he's just one of the most maniacal workers you've ever seen in the sport. And he's improved in all the areas he had to to make himself into one of the best five or six quarterbacks in the NFL. So that's fun to watch. They duel for the first time ever. And then bragging rights for the best wide receiver duo in football. Is it Reek and Waddle or is it Brown and Devontae? I have my pick, but I bet you the Eagles fans would take their guys. How about the atmosphere? It's been a year of bucking conventional thought for the Dolphins, hasn't it? Well, Miami can really assert themselves into the conversations that we ought to be having opposed to the questioning of validity. A win in this one means that Joey Jets can't tweet anymore about the Dolphins. His 44 tweets a day on average against the Dolphins is going to have to go down a little bit. I think the entire idea of trying to dismiss opponents based upon their record when The truth is every game, every entity, when you play that team is a different version of that team than they are comprehensively. Like for instance, the Chargers had everybody, right? Corey Lindsley played in that game, or Sean Slater, Derwin James, all the guys that have gotten hurt, not that they all have, Austin Eckler, all the guys that got hurt for the Chargers were in that game. So you beat a really good version of that Chargers team and a quarterback that everyone says is top three, but can't win games late. Uh, I digress. But I think it's bad practice. And winning this game, though, would shove all that nonsense aside. So let's just do it anyways. Uh, Cool temperatures, a raucous road environment, a national television spotlight, one of the league's best teams and best rosters. It's a win, and there's nothing they can say about you if you do that. But more importantly, the chance to prove to yourself that you can win in that environment, right? I legitimately believe if you can win this one, it proves that you can win anytime, anyplace, and against anybody. Next storyline, top-line quarterback who forces you to defend two plays. That's what Vic Fangio always says when he's asked about a Josh Allen or a Jalen Hurts. We've seen the Dolphins put it to struggling offenses, but get completely railroaded against top-level quarterbacks and top-level offenses. What would be better than having a big defensive game against an explosive offense like this to really solidify Miami's position heading into the second half of the season? I think we all expect the offense to keep on rolling, you know, especially against lesser teams, but score, you know, 25, 35 points against these top level teams. But if the defense can turn that dial up and make a good quarterback look pedestrian, oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. Next storyline, something has to give on explosives when Miami has the football. We have the most explosive plays and Philly allows the fourth fewest. Which one will hold true in this game? Again, I have my pick. You might have yours. Uh, Sean Desai, another defensive coordinator who cut his teeth under Vic Fangio. They play a ton of too high and still allow just 65 rushing yards per game and 3.6 yards per carry. Can we run them out of that? And then finally, my last storyline here, Vic Fangio's turn to play the Ronaldo Hill from week one role. Do you track that? Remember when Coach McDaniel specifically brought up Ronaldo Hill when somebody asked him prior to that week one game, does having Vic Fangio on staff help you with game planning against Brandon Staley, who learned under Fangio? And he was like, Ronaldo Hill. Well, Fangio was with the Eagles last year, dissecting opposing off or defenses rather for their offense. So I have to think he has some knowledge of that Eagles offense and maybe he could help a little bit. Gosh, I am fired up. Let's go ahead and take our first break and come back and I'll tell you why because I have done the lab work. I have put it all on paper. It's time to tell you what I think is going to happen in this game. We'll do Dolphins offense first, Eagles defense next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. 
Here we go. Here we go. Dolphins offense versus Eagles defense and quarterback Tua Tungabailoa is going to see a strange mix in the defensive backfield, I think, come Sunday night because the Eagles are extremely banged up in the secondary. The three players that I presume will get the most run at that group are Terrell Edmonds, who's played 64% of the snaps, a practice squad player, and Makai Gardner, who came up last week and played 6% of the overall snaps on the season. He's a cornerback who switched to safety for that game. And then Sidney Brown is a rookie who looks promising but has missed most of the year and played just 4% of his team's overall snaps this season. The receivers versus corners, you guys know the matchup here. Hill, Waddle, Claypool, Wilson, Darius Slay's played 83% of their snaps. James Bradbury's played 83 as well. Josh Job 55. And then Mario Goodrich is a inside corner who kind of finds his role in that position in the nickel, but they also use safeties in the nickel and they just have been really banged up in that spot. In fact, so just to kind of go over the secondary injuries here, Justin Evans is not going to play. Reed Blankenship is probably not going to play. He's one of the top guys in that backfield as well. They lost both safeties from last year in free agency in Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and Marcus Epps. Sidney Brown's been out all year. And then, again, Makai Gardner was the safety there. Their starting slot, Avante Maddox, is down. They lost backup corners Eli Ricks and Bradley Roby from that Jets game with injuries. So we're talking about potentially like cornerback seven seeing the field at least three quarters of the time in their primary base nickel package. And for scorekeeping, two safeties for sure, potentially a third, and their top three primary slot guys. That is tough sledding against an offense that is the best of all time through six games. So Dolphins have to take advantage of those matchups. I think we see more of Hill and Waddle inside and not just exclusively guys like Berrios. And there's never exclusive positions on this team, but I think you'll see more Hill and Waddle inside than you generally would. And then on the offensive line versus defensive line, they go Fletcher Cox, 61% of the snaps. And he's a great player, don't get me wrong. But the two guys that I don't want to see even more are Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter. And they've played 44 and 47% of the Eagles snaps respectively. So when they're out of the game, that might be a chance to make some hay in the running game. Contavia Street, 15% on the interior as well. And then off the edge, Josh Sweat, 71%. He is a really good player. Hassan Reddick, 70%, probably even better than Sweat. And then Graham, 31 And Derek Barnett, 22% of those snaps. So we know no Teron Armstead. Kendall Lamb didn't practice on Wednesday, but he's going to be fine. Connor Williams didn't practice on Wednesday, but I think he'll play. In fact, that's the biggest swing hinge portion of this game for me is Williams versus Eichenberg at center. And we'll talk about the matchup here in a second. But running backs, uh, Mostert and Ahmed, you know about them against linebackers like Zach Cunningham, who's played 83% of their snaps. And he's more indicative of the fact that N'Kobe Dean's been injured. But the Eagles linebacker position has been the bane of their existence the last few years. So you go out and get a guy that is probably past his prime a little bit. Nicholas Morrow, 70% of the snaps, and then N'Kobe Dean should be ramped up to go this week. He's played 21% of the snaps after landing on IR, and he was basically Jalen Phillips' last game in terms of he got a a pitch count of snaps at the middle linebacker position. They didn't have Jalen Carter or Darius Slay last week. I imagine both those guys will return, and I'm curious if Nolan Smith gets some more burn because Derek Barnett and Brandon Graham just don't really have the juice they used to 
off the edge. Defensively, they almost not quite Buffalo level, but 81% nickel. They rarely get out of that package and they only run one base. There's no hybrid here. So you're going to get a lot of even fronts, 43 defense, 12% of the time, and they'll sprinkle in some dime 2% as well. I wonder though, I wonder if we see a change up given some of the personnel issues they're having with their injuries. I think the strength of their defense is in the depth they have up front. Would they maybe usher out some new fronts to get more gaps accounted for and maybe see some of that you know, 6-1 type of look that we've seen the Dolphins run with Vic Fangio since Sean Desai is off of the Vic Fangio tree. But that's the problem with this Dolphins offense because if you do that, you risk giving minimal help to 10 and 17. And man, the few times teams have gone man up against Tyreek without safety help, well, that was the coverage that you had on a 35-yard touchdown pass, the coverage you had on a 69-yard touchdown pass, nice, and a 41-yard touchdown pass against the Chargers, Giants, and Panthers respectively. Now, as for the Eagles corners, I think Slay is a heck of a player and a good ball hawk, and you got to be weary of him trying to jump routes and make plays in the football. I think if we can not turn the ball over in this game, we'll push 40 points. That's always kind of the way it goes, but I think that James Bradbury is still a really good player. He's at that kind of cornerback cliff, if you will, at 30, where guys tend to see their physical traits deteriorate and then have to make more plays based upon their you know mental aptitude. But he's a 6'1", 209-pound corner. And I saw Sean Desai say that, yeah, speed can hurt you, but you can hurt speed with physicality. Okay, but you got to get hands on guys. And the way the Dolphins have operated in motion, I wonder if the plan is to try to press and bump and run and disrupt timing. Because if that's the case, if they want to play it that way, I bet you Coach McDaniel has something for them with his motions and his wrinkles and I, I just know that there's different variations off of the offense we've had so far, and I cannot wait. I think this game and then KC in a couple weeks, which to me is the most important game of the entire year, I think you could see a little bit of, you know, some of the back pages in terms of what this offense can really, really do. But Bradbury does not move like Tyreek and Jalen do. So those are interesting matchups there. If you get them, if you can kick them inside, even better. But they should have Slay and Bradbury available. But again, several guys out on the interior that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. I just, I wonder what they're going to do to mask some of those, you know, depth issues. Because right now you're looking at practice squad guys playing significant snaps for this Eagle secondary. It's a rough matchup, man. They've played just 10 snaps of zero coverage this year and just two of three high. They play, they start off in single high 32% and wrote or start with too high coverage, 64%, which tells you run the ball, right? But it's funny because if you look at their post-snap alignments, it's completely flipped. 64 single high and 32 too high. So what is it? Against the Jets, I wasn't sure if this was because they are just playing an offense that has no explosive passing element to it whatsoever and the worst starting quarterback in the NFL, but it looks like they play a little bit more of that man-free coverage because the thing with all those injuries, you know, if Miami can keep Tua protected, it's just such a tough offense to try to incorporate new pieces and develop chemistry on the fly to be able to counteract all the movement, all the eye candy, all the ball handling, all the process deliver attributes which with which the Tua shines. I think we're going to get in this game a signature to a tongue of Iloa game, a 300 plus yard day, a three touchdown type of day that completely silences 
the few remaining Barry Cunninghams of the world, the guys that can only count to potato, if you know what I mean. Big chance for Tua to have a game that really gets people talking here, and I think he's up to the challenge, and I think the answer here is ball distribution. When they play their, you know, their their quarters or their coverage shells, they tend to put back the roof on the top of the defense, and then when they get aggressive, you dial up your game breakers and you get your explosives that way, stay on schedule, and then deliver once you lull them to sleep. All of that said... I think you start this matchup with where the Jets had some success running the football off the perimeter, and nobody has more success with that than Miami. The Jets hit an 18-yard fly sweep against the Eagles' defense. They also totaled 42 total yards on just four carries off either end. Hey, run the ball off the edge more, guy. Um, The Dolphins lead the league in rushing off the edge, 385 yards on just 59 attempts and four touchdowns. That's an average of 6.5 yards per pop. But then again... We also average 6.5 rushing as a team in general. Oh, and we have 11 touchdowns running the ball between tackles. So it's pretty much just good no matter what you do. But then from there, that creates so much counteraction and screen game. And I just want to see these young, you know, untested corners or, you know, safeties come down and try to make tackles. Because if you can block up Slay and Bradbury and get on the perimeter and force those guys to tackle Waddle and Hill and, and Mostert, good luck, man. And then off of that, the play-action game where Miami is one of the most deadly offenses there too. I mean, across the board, right? But N'Kobe Dean working back into the flow of things is good for them. Hopefully, I hope, there's some rust and you can maybe scramble his thoughts a little bit because, like, go back to that first game against Kenneth Murray. <laughs> Poor Kenneth Murray in that, that game, man. He was in hell. If you can get N'Kobe Dean's head spinning a little bit, that's going to really make this offense click and, and put the numbers up that we are used to seeing and probably win the football game. Now, the biggest key to this Eagles defense and where I, I think they can plant their flag against some of the matchups that I just talked about that favor Miami so dramatically is in that front. And it's good on good because Miami's been fantastic in that department as well. And, you know, Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis are a modern version of the Williams wall. You younger folks, the, the Minnesota Vikings used to have two defensive tackles, Pat and Kevin Williams, that were literally immovable and they would play like 85% of their snaps and just rush the passer and, and you'd run for like two yards in a game against them the entire game. But these guys, they're so freaking good. Carter didn't play last week, but big number 90 Jordan Davis was the guy that popped off the tape to me more than anybody else. He just consistently walked their center back into Zach Wilson, and Carter has been even better than that. So I think where Miami has been superb is the connectivity inside. You know, Williams, Hunt, and Wynn are all top grade top three at their positions in pass block efficiency, not right guard, left guard, all the guards. It's two and three for Hunt and uh, and Win, and then Williams is number three among centers. So if they can do that, if they can get those big fellows moving with outside runs, tire the legs out a little bit. Maybe we keep them at bay. You know, keep the edge rushers thinking about what might be coming. Look, if Connor Williams plays, I'm picking a win. I'm just gonna tell you that right now. If he doesn't, I'm probably gonna flip it. Just. Just want you guys to know that. Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick, again, game wreckers off the edge. I think Sweat has looked the toughest this year in terms of his pop and get off and the counter moves that he offers. He's just a pass rusher's pass rusher. He's got a variety of swipes and hand combat moves that help to get him free. The interesting part about this is that Kendall Lamb specializes in that department. It feels like we said this a few times regarding this matchup, right? Just good on good and the things that you do well, they do well. What a treat for the neutral fan to get to watch this game. I wonder, again, if we might see more Nolan Smith. He was a first-round draft pick. He's got all the length and bendability and pass rush you could ever want in a prospect. 
But Brandon Graham outreps him, but just hasn't done much this year. And here, by the numbers, you can see it. Pressures this year. Sweat, 27. Reddick, 24. Carter, 23. Huge drop-off. Milton Williams, a guy we didn't talk about in the interior, who left the Jets game and came back and looks pretty good, too. He has 12. Fletcher Cox has 12. And then Graham has just 9. So you kind of see those top three guys are really where the pressure comes from from this defense. Good challenges all around for our guys up front. I am curious to see if we can get, you know, continue to get our guys out in space against an athletic group of defensive backs in the running game. I like Miami's offense to post some good points in this game. We'll tell you how much on the next side, and we'll also tell you how much the Eagles offense might score in this game as we break down Jalen Hurts and the Eagles offense versus the Miami Dolphins defense. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. When the Dolphins' defense is back on the field, which, by the way, real quick, a couple of news and notes here. Jalen Ramsey practiced on Wednesday. He looks good, man. He looks good. He looks good. Also, Raheem Mostert, one player of the month for uh, for the AFC on offense. So congratulations to Raheem, and I think we're going to see Ramsey back here pretty dang soon. He was ruled out for the Philly game already, but his practice window has opened. We are going to see number five very soon for your Miami Dolphins defense. Not this week, but we will see Javon Holland and Deshaun Elliott go up against Jalen Hurts, and I continue to think the connectivity those two guys have shown and grown and improved with will only continue to make life tough on Jalen Hurts, who passing the football this year, been a little bit wonky, a little bit sideways. More on that in a moment. We'll see who can deal with Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, who both play 95% plus of the snaps. I feel similarly about Connor Williams as I do Xavier Howard's availability. That could really flip how I feel about this game because X is here to guard a guy like A.J. Brown. He might not win the matchup, but he has to be able to go compete with that guy, match his physicality, and hopefully he can do that. And then do we see maybe some more Cam Smith? Because I just am not loving the other options outside of what we have with him, with X and Cater Kohu. And then on the slot, they run uh, Alomadai Zacchaeus, is a pretty underrated player, 48% of the snaps. Quez Watkins, 26, but I think he's going to miss the game. And then Dallas Goddard is really the third option in the passing game. He's played 92% of their snaps. So Smith, Brown, and Goddard, and, and then DeAndre Swift is really the main package, and they'll, they'll kind of substitute in the fifth eligible across the board from the rest of the guys they have. Um, they've got an interesting interior three. Landon Dickerson is a former center playing left guard, and then Jason Kelsey. And the new right guard, Sua Opa, is the one that I don't I don't know. I don't know if that's a, a guy that can really handle Christian Wilkins on that side of the football. Uh, obviously, they go up against Wilkins, Sealer, Davis, and some Deshaun Hand action in there. And then Jordan Mailata and Jack Driscoll will be the tackle combination. I just don't think Lane Johnson can do it this week. So big matchup for Phillips off that side, as well as Van Ginkle if he gets as much run as he usually does. I think we'll see a lot more JP this week. I kind of feel like this was the game they were targeting all along for him to come back. And then Chubb on Mailata, that's probably a favor Eagles, but if he can get some production there, that would be a big, big bonus. And he's probably going to see lots of one-on-ones too. So you're up, B-Chubb. Um, again, Lane Johnson, high ankle spring. Jack Driscoll replaced him and surrendered eight quarterback pressures in the game on Sunday. I do think it's pretty common for an offensive lineman coming off the bench to struggle more so than starting. Just a different story when you get the whole week of reps and start the game. Again, Watkins left with injury. Their left guard, their their normal left guard, Jurgen Cox, is down. So that's where Dickerson fills in. Uh, he was a replacement for Isaac Somalu, a key free agent lost this March. So it's almost like... The guys they lost in free agency that maybe they're trying to find, you know, replacements and trying to find the rhythm in those spots. Those guys are like now injured and they're on the third option at that spot. So that could be a key to watch for in this game. They signed Julio Jones, but I doubt you'll see him on Sunday. Their personnel, 11, is 73% of the time. Zacchaeus and Watkins' uh, snap counts 
add up to 73, so that makes perfect sense. They operate from 12 personnel 20% of the time. Jack Stoll plays about 21% of the snaps, so there you go. He's the second tight end. They play 13 personnel 5%, and they do not have a fullback on the roster, but 21 personnel with two backs is 2% of the time. Fast 21, right? They'll go two dual by, uh, two halfbacks, I should say, alongside Hurts at times. And it all starts in the ground game with DeAndre Swift, Jalen Hurts in the design running game, and of course, Hurts on scrambles. That was all he did against the Jets. Escape, escape, escape and create. They've not been as coordinated and structured this year, but I think that's to be expected with a new play caller and offensive coordinator. They ran just 35% of the time in that 11 packet, 11 personnel package, but they run it 54% of the time in 12. So when you get two tight ends in the field, you might want to bring a safety down, stay in that base package. But then from there, they know that. So they're going to get their vertical shots to those two stud wide receivers. They're like us, man. They're a lot to deal with. You have to play a really good game to stop them defensively. First player I think about when I think about how to slow Philly is David Long. To me, this is the game that you get David Long for. He's come on as of late in an offense that can be run but also hit you with verticals against your base package an offense that runs so much rpo you need a skill set like long and you need him to be seeing things in the way that allows him to anticipate and feel and and just be in the right position because without the running game you know design scrambles and without swift if you cut that down it's like cutting the head off the snake here for the eagles suddenly they can't get to those vertical shots the efficiency bugaboos we're going to tell you about here in a moment they've they bogged down drives like multiple drives at a time like you saw against the Jets on Sunday. And here's a good example of that. They ran for 80 yards against the Jets, their lowest total in over a calendar year. And they scored their lowest point total in that long, 14 points. Week one was the only other time they didn't they didn't rush for over 100 yards this season, 97 against New England, and they only scored 18 points offensively. So it kind of seems like the key here is to hold them under 100 rushing yards and you can keep them below 20 points. Now, I think the game script calls for something differently because the Dolphins' offense is not the Jets and Patriots' offense, but you get what I'm going with this. Every other game they had, they had two games over 200 yards and a couple of games over 100 yards, and they scored in those games. But to that verticals point, they went after the commander's frequent quarters calls, and Jack Del Rio's defense is a yikes, but they went after those quarters looks with relentless verticals, posts, corners, seams from the two position. They tried to hit explosives to Brown and Smith pretty much every time they got that look. So while I think the run game is first and foremost, I think the player who is first and foremost individually is A.J. Brown. What a problem this guy is. My God, he wins on every type of route. His run after the catch is elite, and he takes over most games like Tyreek Hill does. Not to the same level, but you get it. I just hope we get a healthy X because that's who he typically matches up best with. Not that he's going to win that matchup, but he can use his physicality to help offset some of Browns in that department. And then I think Cater has the quicks to keep pace with Devontae Smith. I don't like a cornerback over a good receiver almost any time, but you're going to give attention somewhere. It's probably that one, if that's the way the matchups play out. Probably vary between those two guys, but then you force someone else to beat you, right? And for the Eagles, that has been Dallas Goddard. So find a matchup for him. Maybe that's Javon Holland's job in this game. And then keep an eye on Olimide Zacchaeus. He's just a crafty route runner, but Miami has to win those one-on-ones to be competitive on defense where they haven't been quite as sharp as last year. And it's funny to say this because they're still the number two offense in football. They've not been as efficient in the short passing game, just 51% completion in the intermediate part of the field and a success rate of only 34%. There's lots of sloppy play in there, like breakdowns and pass pro minimal effort on the top of some routes, some bad quarter, 
quarterback mechanics, bailing on clean pockets, just different things that lead to a passing success rate of 44%, which is only 21st in the National Football League. But it is a 61.6% success rate for Swift on the ground and 61.9% for Hertz as a runner. So you pair running wins with their slopping, sloppy passing attack at times. You can bog them down. What's interesting about this, though, is that Hurts, it seems like one of those passing game issues. And again, they're still productive as hell. But when it gets disjointed, it starts with one's footwork. Like he's not hitching in rhythm. He's not striding towards his target. And the timing of those drops is not timing up with the routes. It's just a hair off. And again, this could all be calibrated by this week, but it hasn't been so far. But when, when Hertz's footwork is right, gosh, he is deadly. On balance for me, he's a top five quarterback in the league. A great test for the Dolphins defense. The line play is fantastic, but Sunday was their worst performance by the numbers. And I don't think that's any coincidence with Lane Johnson exiting the game. The Jets flushed Hertz all game long. And Johnson's replacement, Jack Driscoll, his eight pressures in the game allowed were the most by an Eagle in a game since 2020. And again, off the bench is different than starting. But I think with an offense like this, especially one that just had a four giveaway game and just happened in a fluky manner. I mean, one was a catch that got stripped and deflected back the other way and landed right in the lap of Quinn Williams. It's a pure fluke. Then another one where his arm got hit and the ball turned into an infield fly. I don't think you can bank on that kind of luck. If you get it, great. But I think with the hope of an offense like this is to contain it. Just contain the big plays, get enough rundown wins, string them together hopefully, and then you can hope to get some wins on third downs there as well. So it's also important to note for the guys in coverage, when he scrambles, they have to get under their man and plaster because on tape, this is so consistent. They come straight back down the stem when he scrambles off to the sideline, regardless of the coverage. They always come right back to him. He put a couple in harm's way against the Jets, but he also completed some insane throws in that category, including one where he's literally stiff-arming a 300-pound defensive tackle while throwing the football. This guy's an alien, man. How do we impact the game in the pass rush? I love Wilkins and Sealer as much as anybody, but I just this interior three is so good, and it starts with an elite center. It's so hard to get interior pressure against a team with an elite center because of all the help that he provides, like on uh, the right guard I mentioned. like He helps him so much. And the matchups, I think, favor Miami more on the edge because I don't imagine Lane Johnson plays six days after a high ankle sprain. So pressures, hits, and sacks allowed. Mylotta, 16-1-1. Dickerson, 12-3-1. Kelsey, 3-1-0. Jeez. Opeta, or Opa, I'm sorry, 8-1-1. It's Opeta. What the hell am I talking about? And he's only played 131 snaps because he's not the original right guard. And then Driscoll, 8-2-1, but just 43 snaps on Sunday to allow eight pressures. There you go. I have some keys I want to talk about. First, what's at stake? From a standing standpoint, honestly, not all that much. It's an NFC team. And in fact, our playoff odds decreased by a point last week, even though we won the game, according to Summer Sports, on their probability scale of playoffs. That's a direct result of playing an NFC team. Typically, or technically speaking, Miami could drop this one and then rattle off wins in the next seven games, which I I think they will personally, and have the number one seed in their control heading into the final three games versus Dallas, Baltimore, and Buffalo. That's another universe away, but I feel like it's important in the description of what's truly at stake. Now, that said... I do think this is a human game with humans involved and human emotions attached to go on the road in that environment against that team on this stage to win this game. I think this is a confident team already, but if they get this win, (laughs) I think that will just affirm the confidence and who knows, maybe it would be a springboard to them playing 
into an even higher level than before, and maybe they go to 16-1 and as a result of that. So it's a big game, but it, it isn't a big game, if that makes sense. The keys to me contain the Philly run game, 44% success passing rate if you can play at that number while executing our second key, which we'll get to in a minute, and the ability to string together rundown wins that could limit this offense. That's how other teams have gotten it done against them in terms of you know limiting points: 18 points against the Patriots, uh, 20 against the Jets last week, or 14 against the Jets last week. Key number two, <clears throat> excuse me, prevent AJ Brown and Devontae Smith from getting vertical. They're completing 40 percent of their throws, 20 plus yards down the field, but when they get them, they go for big yards. <clears throat> 11 completions for 445 and four touchdowns on such throws. As we mentioned, 44 percent passing rate success comes from a relatively inefficient intermediate passing game. If you can force their deep shots into a high incompletion percentage, maybe you pick one off, then you can get some stops. And the key number three, feed the cheetah and the penguin. It's a key every single week, but they are so banged up. Let's take advantage of that. Let's see cheetah go for buck 50. Let's, go, let's see penguin go for a buck 50 and go get us a big win on Sunday night football. Areas of concern, I'm concerned about the run defense versus that quarterback and DeAndre Swift. They're just very good and would have me concerned regardless of who's on defense. I'm concerned about Brown and Smith, especially if Xavier Howard cannot go in the game. And I'm concerned about Carter and Davis, especially if Connor Williams cannot go. Areas to exploit, Jack Driscoll have to win that matchup consistently. They're going to help on him but you have to find a way to make him pay when he's one-on-one. <clears throat> and then capitalize on some of the erratic nature of the offense. If Hurts puts the ball in harm's way, if he throws a bad pass that costs them a down, don't let him get back into the down distance. Get off the field if that happens. And then their secondary injuries and the matchups there, exploit them. The prediction, I'm taking the Miami Dolphins. I feel great about the offense, not the defense against that offense. If it's not Connor, I'm going to flip it to 34-31 Eagles. But with Connor... I'm going 38-28 Dolphins and the game not being as close as the score would indicate. I think Miami comes out like we saw Buffalo come out against us in week four. I think they're motivated. I think they're going to play hard and fast and do it early. I think that they're going to score early and often and play complimentary football and show the world what we are, that we are, what I have been telling you guys this whole year, what I think this football team is. And they were last year, but injuries got in the way of that. So 38-28 Dolphins, that's what I'm saying. Let's go ahead and get out of here. Mike Tarico on the podcast on Friday. Fran Duffy tomorrow, a big week of guests here on the Drive Time Podcast. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on social at Wingfield NFL. Check out the Fish Tank with Seth and Juice and the YouTube channel for media availabilities and Dolphins today and so much more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Carolina Cameron, Daddy. Daddy.